Hello, grace and peace. We're taking Anarchy to Church here on the Anarchist Bible Study. I'm Josh, a.k.a. Ioan Cap. And I'm Jeff Park, a.k.a. not the first Avenger, but I know the guy. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, so let's get. So fifth seal. And this is if we are correct. Uh, a we're, we're moving on to the next phase, which is the halves of the whole. Those will be the first half of the whole. Now we'll probably get into more of does it fit next episode. But uh, but for now, we're going we're gonna to look at the fifth seal. So, and when, uh, and then was opened the seal, the fifth, the fifth, or sorry, not the field, seal, of it, the fifth seal is in the right order. And when I was open, and then was opened the fifth seal. And I saw, and I saw under the altar the souls of the slain through the word of god and through the witness which they had so this is some interesting um an interesting construction we'll say first uh firstly um that there's there's uh it says i saw under the you see that word? Um, if you're looking on with us, the I think there. Do we did we have a zoom? We still have a zoom. There we go. Um, but it's not lined up because there we go. Um, and we looked, and so you got that word thusiaste ryu. That is the <laughs> word for altar, because you'll see the word um, that it actually comes from the word for a offering. So, so there's a, the, the, it's the place where the sacrifice, the Thuse, uh, Thuse, whatever. The, um, the, that, that's like victim, literally, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, the, the, the sacrifice. So it's the sacrificing yeah. place. That's what the altar is. So we're, ta- we're yeah. talking about an altar. Now, here's where um, I have to say my own mentality has been too shaped by the church that I realized it was when, when translating this first time that I realized that when I pictured the altar, I've always been picturing a communion table. Oh, which is an interesting thing that I, I just, I don't think I realized until I started real thinking about the fact that, Oh, the sacrifice place. No, no, no. This is the altar altar. This yeah. is where they would slay the ox, the, the ram, but the, I can see why bird. when you say, say under, cause how would yeah. something be under the altar altar. Right. So I can see why that would tend towards that. Yeah. Thought. Um, which is why I made that reference to people under a table. Um, yeah. Because it was in some ways re- re- referring to kind of the way that I'd always thought about it. And I, and I don't know if anyone had specifically told me that. So I might be the only one who ever did that, but this is under the altar. Um, now, the, which altar, first of all, is the, the question. Um, under the altar, we're not talking about, he's not getting a vision into the Jerusalem temple, right? He's not looking at the actual physical altar. And so this gets into something else that, that, um, it's common biblical theme, right? Um, for one thing, because again, how could something get under the altar? But this, I think points out to that, that theme that often gets brought up that, um, the earthly temple is a um is a reflection of 
the earth, the heavenly temple. Uh, and we've seen this in, in the, the, even in the, this book so far that there's constructions of the throne room that seem to reflect the way that the temple was laid out with the Holy of Holies and a, uh, you know, the, then there's a holy place around it. And then there's a general people where the people are, <clears throat> but, but, um, but this is meant to whatever these things are that what what's what's supposed to be brought up is that these are things that are um sacrificed that there there is some kind of a sacrifice metaphor being being used here um they are under the sacrifice somehow is it because they themselves are a sort of sacrifice is it because of some other metaphor? I don't know. We can work that out along on the way, but that's something to notice. First of all, is that the symbolism is they are under the place where the sacrifice goes. Um, and what does he see under the sac under the, the sacrifice place, the altar? He sees the souls of those having been slain through the word of God. Now, dia, I'm using, I'm, I'm interpreting that obnoxiously liberal, but we would probably take it in the sense of on account of in this case. So this is those who have been slain on account of the word of God. Um, I mean, conceivably you could say this is a represent a reference to the, um, decretive word of God, but that doesn't seem, um, very likely, especially in light of the, the Henedis, which is, and through the witness, which they have, or which Correct. they had. Yes. So, yeah. so there's, it is because of their witness also, in the word of God that they are under the altar. Note also this slain is the same word yes. from verse four. It's verse four, right? Yes. Um, where the fiery red horse, the one riding it has permission to take peace from the earth. So that the people would murder one another, or or slay one another, or yes. so. Um, so this is violent. Yes. Death. And also, slain is slain is accurate because yeah. that that refers to a violent death, not also, not just a. These people didn't pass away yeah. of old age, and it's the word applied also to the. Execution of the lamb, too. Yes. It's the same Wait. word for the, the lamb having been slain or having the appear, yeah. appearing to have been slain. Yeah. And I think that's the one that I jumped to is the connection to they're under the altar and they have been slain like the lamb. And so there is, uh, I, and, and, you know, so they're killed on account of the word of God. First of all, it's and by the way, they're, they're witness. They're, the way I remember this is because it kind of looks like the word esophagus. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so I'm thinking of yep. having your esophagus cut through. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's yeah. And, and, but so, so let's talk about, first of all, I like, I always like to point out that this is, this is one of the things that like the Bible never calls itself the word of God. That's a often brought up by liberals or neo orthodox as a knock against the word of God. But the way that the Bible describes itself makes it clear that it is the word of God. 
Correct. But that means there's there the case, but then you you ask, well, what does the word of God usually refer to? Sometimes it means literally God speaking, what He is speaking. Um, sometimes it you know, and more rarely than I think. Uh, is is acknowledged. Sometimes it does represent Jesus. It's actually very rare how often the word of God is applied to Jesus, though. Um, in fact, once in John's gospel and once in John's apocalypse. Like those are the only times that word of God is really a- applied to Jesus. More often than not, uh, word of God is referring to either uh, a word of a prophet or as in this case, as well as in Peter. And I believe in, in by my opinion, uh, the fourth chapter of Timothy, a second Timothy is referring to the gospel. And so I think, and I think that's, this is, this is why I make this case because we're going to read, we're going to hear from the futurists. And uh, some of the futurists have an interesting interpretation of this. Uh, and I want to get ahead of it. That if they are dying for the word of God and the testimony, and that's a henidus, that's not a listing, uh, that's not lists. I mean, if, if you want to say for the word of God and, te- and testimony, maybe it's prophets and evangelists. No, it is a henidus, it is the word of God and the testimony. And so it is the, the gospel. This is what they were killed for. They were killed for the gospel. That's that's what they are being killed for. Um, and so I'm making a big deal out of that again to get ahead of another interpretation. But but that but but that seems I, I'm it's going to seem to me a hard sell to make this mean something else. This has to be about the gospel. That this is what the Henedus is pointing to. This is what the um the word word of God usually refers to in the new Testament is, is referring to the gospel. That is what they um, are being slain for. Um, and then, and then it's, a, and then um, it's, a, and then they cried out with a great voice saying, Eos pote, how long, how long? Oh, I wish there was a way to, not okay. How long, oh despot, despotes, oh despot, the holy and true one. Uh, so Lord, holy and true. That's why the, the ESV says sovereign Lord. This is a despot, a person who has unquestioning authority. This is not curios. This is not, which is also could apply to God, but this is the one who rules over all things with an iron fist that none can, can question his leadership. He is the despotes, the holy and true one. <coughs> so this is an interesting reference to God, right? God is the despot who is holy and true. I mean, the second one is very easy to hop to. The true despot. There is, okay, let's remember that we're an anarchist Bible study. All of the so-called authorities, all the so-called despots of earth, there is one true despot of earth. And Nebuchadnezzar was reminded of that. The kings of Israel were reminded of that. Uh, Cyrus was reminded of that. Um, and on and on, uh, eventually Nero 
came to realize that, that there is only one true despot of the earth, only one true sovereign Lord of the earth, and that is God. God is the only true King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Which ironically, again, that this is something interesting. That is what the Medo-Persians called themselves. The king of kings, because that was a reference to how they were a kingship over a bunch of little kingships. But there's only one true king of kings and lord of lords. But also the holy sovereign lord. This is where we remember that we're Calvinists. <laughs> that this is the, the one who is sovereign is a holy sovereign. The one who rules over all things, who no one can question his rule. He is a holy one. And that means, yes, what he does will be right, will be righteous. He will be righteous in his rule. But it also means that he will be swift in bringing and executing judgment upon the wicked. And that is what I believe these are appealing to. These, these, These dead souls are appealing to the fact that um, that he is holy. That he is the one who is, yes, he is just and he will be swift with his wrath. Um, this is a great common, a great uh, important theme throughout the Bible of people calling out to God um, using his attributes against him, so to speak. You know, like, like pleading his attributes. And... Um, I don't know. I feel like we should do that more here in this, this right. nation of America to plead the attributes of God um, against the wicked in our land. It is modeled for us regularly in the yes. scriptures. Oh, yes. Um, so if we're doing it irregularly, it's not because <laughs> we don't have uh, a multiplicity of models of it, yeah. uh, including in essentially every patriarch in Genesis uh, in uh, a large portion of the Psalms, like I would say the lion's share of the Psalms. Um, Oh yes. That's a great point. And that's, and that's of course, that's also a great connection here because how long. Yes. This is the voice of the sufferer in the Psalms. This is very Psalmic. Um, this is the, the voice of lamentation. This, this is definitely um, smacks of Old Testament uh, l- lament, right? And it's recognizing that he is the despotes. He holds all the power over how long it will be. Yes. That it's not that he hasn't gotten around to it. It's not that his arm is too short. It's it's yes. that he has purposes yes. to, to make it longer. Yes, that is, that is huge. That's so important. You're right. Absolutely right. Um, yeah. And he is both holy and truthful yes. in so doing. He is mm-hmm. both, both, both holy and honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, because because of course this is the cry, the cry of the sufferer is always how long, and then they will t- state the attributes. Of course, that that he is the holy and true one. He is the despot of all the earth, and he is the holy and the true one. And then they will ask, in light of that fact, 
in light of the fact that he is in control of all things, uh, will you not judge and judge? These are kind of two two words that both mean. Uh, so judge and execute judgment is kind of the if we're going to bring uh, some kind of a, a distinction between the two. Um, how long will you judge and execute judgment on the blood of us? Um, so, so this is this is actually the reason I did that for the AKA though, because in the Septuagint, this is how Avenger of Blood mm-hmm. is translated. And so this um Yeah. Uh, Ectacase Tahima. Yeah. Is Avenge the Blood. Avenger of Blood. Yes. Yeah. Which I... is a whole thing that we're not getting into on this episode <laughs> in fullness, but we've talked about it before. It's yeah. the idea that um, all the blood <coughs> from Righteous Abel. Yeah. Um, uh, to the last martyr, a word that is coming to mean what we use it to mean in this book. Um, um, this book is the reason we use this word that way. Yeah. Um, um, but um, uh, the that all of the righteous blood, there, there's the theology of Genesis yeah. from the moment the first blood is spilled. Yes. Is that all of the righteous blood brings vengeance yes. by being spilled. That 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 uh blood cries out from the ground for vengeance. Yes. And um God is the ultimate avenger of blood. Um but when he sets up earthly governments for his people, um one of the first models is an extremely uh, decentralized private law style yeah. model where you have an avenger of blood who yeah. will um, be a basically a private private agent of justice yeah. who will who will um, execute um, lawful judgments between families to prevent essentially the outbreak of war or feud between between families um uh and i think i think we talked about this in the bob murphy episode um that eye for an eye tooth for a tooth life for a life it's a limiting principle was was originally a limiting principle that would be enforced by an avenger of blood that would make sure that would make sure things didn't spin out of control it didn't it wasn't you killed my son i'll wipe yeah. out your whole family it was yeah. uh it, it was we we're we're avenging only on the person who committed the crime yes um and then and and then you have the ultimate blood that cries yes. out from the ground is jesus's yeah which spoke a better word it spoke a better word, mm-hmm. not of vengeance. Yeah. Uh, that it, it, it was the 
it was the reversal of vengeance yeah. in that it was innocent blood spilled on the ground by evil. Evil. It was yeah. an evil act. They did not know what they were doing or they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Yeah. Um, that, But that it was the most evil act in human history, but that rather than crying out for vengeance, it, it cried out as a substitute yeah. for the yeah. wrath of God. Absolutely. Um, and, and so, so the Avenger of blood is a giant concept that we can't so treat important. fully, but hopefully that gets that, so rarely looked at. Yeah. Yes. We, and, and, and at some point we just need to do, on a biblical theology of, of that yeah on on the on the avenger of blood yeah um there there's there's a lot and it, it's obviously as as you picked up from me emphasizing that it was a decentralized private law solution uh, quite in keeping with our approach uh to uh uh to political yeah uh, but, but political also theology. there's a but but this book, but this this section also shows us there's a cosmic dimension to this Avenger yes. of Blood. Um, yes. That's that is um, that the blood of the innocent is uh, it does cry out to God. Um, I, I want to point out something that maybe we skipped over that I want to point out that it's the souls of the slain crying out. Uh, I don't want to yeah, skip over that I too. Too quickly. I meant to jump in and, and and say it's a mild complication to how do you get under the altar as well if it's immaterial. Um, yeah. But, um, but, uh, but it, it, I don't think I don't think that's I don't think that's necessarily what's going on here. Go ahead. I actually am, am going to use this as an argument against uh, a not common interpretation, but one that I've seen trips up people. Um, when they encounter it, which is this idea that there is no such thing as a soul, that the Bible does not, the word soul does not refer to an immaterial part of ourselves, um, or, but it actually refers to kind of the whole, it's, it's kind of semi Aristotelian, um, this idea of, uh, that, that like, um, I encountered it by a Christian materialist, my, one of my philosophy professors in college, um, who I really enjoyed, his classes, he was a Christian material. So he would say um, that, no, no, it's, it's not that there's a immaterial part of us that goes to heaven. It's that our bodies rest in the ground and God raises us from the dead. And that's, that's it. So it's not soul sleep because there is no soul to sleep. It's this idea of just, we are not, we don't have a soul, but then there's other people that, that the, the seventh day Adventists would believe in a soul sleep sort of thing. The idea that when we die, our souls rest and same way our great our bodies do in the grave until we are resurrected then he awakens our soul um but but clearly here the souls of the slain are continuing to exist and be conscious they are conscious yes. and they continue to exist and they cry out yes. so so it's not just the blood crying out uh uh, this is where the connection where I wanted to clear up is not just that their blood cries out in some sort of um, uh, 
I don't like know how you would say it, like some sort of a, uh, like a metaphorical way or, or, or something like that. But like, it's that they themselves, that the souls of the dead are crying to God. And they're crying, how long until the Avenger of Blood comes? Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, upon those who, who the ones, uh, the evildoers, upon the evildoers upon the earth or upon the land. And he says, uh, it's, there's, there's, this is where there's a question mark here at the end. That's what the, the semicolon is actually a question mark in Greek. Um, by convention, not by original. The original language didn't have any um, marks at all. <clears throat> but sh- there's a no, a, a negative particle at the beginning. So you will not judge. Without that question mark, it would be, you will not judge and avenge the blood of us upon the wicked upon the earth. But the question mark is, is to clarify. That's another way the negative particle can use be used to say, will you not? How long, yeah. oh, true and yeah. holy sovereign right. Lord, will you not judge and avenge our blood upon the wicked upon of the earth? Right. And yeah, will you not is, is the closest construction in English because yeah. in, in Greek, it's for questions that anticipate a affirmative answer. May, may. Well, usually may is the word. This is actually ab- abnormal. So this one does not necessarily um, fit that. Pattern. Oh, I thought, I thought may anticipated a negative answer and who, and to, I'm, I'm wrong. Uh, may anticipates a no, like there. Yeah. That, that, that like surely like would be something like surely you wouldn't say like that right. would be kind of the, the may whereas ooh is, Will you not? I, I think there's there's a little bit of a hint of desperation here, like not right. necessarily not necessarily I, the yeah. confidence of the, of the judgment. Oh, okay. Although that's not okay. necessarily absent. It's just saying that that I think the, the we're supposed to read desperation in this. Are you not going to judge the people who did these things to your people? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I see why you're I see why you're making a distinction about expecting a, an affirmative answer. Yeah. I, I, I think we're saying the same thing well, that that's a, that's the intensity yeah. of the expectation of the positive answer. Well, is, yeah. But it's, it's very much in keeping with, I think, um, you know, the may, the may construction, usually something like, Oh, what? Surely you're, you're not surely not, you know, no. like, but, but this is saying, are, are you not going to do this? Right. Is this, isn't this, isn't this what you do? And I think right. this is like, I think we need to remember that this is, this is a way to pray to God. Not, 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 now there's, there's a, a way that it's used in, in, in a lack of faith. It's not that they lack faith in God. They know that he is, he, they know just as well as they anyone, know, yeah. probably better that the, yeah. the judge of all the earth will judge righteously. Um, but there's a question of like how the, how long is the clarity like what, what's what's it gonna take? When are you gonna do this? When are you gonna take care of this? Like are we we're and, and the, they're under the altar. They they want judgment, and um. But it seems to have been taking some time. Who do you think they're talking to? By the way, I are they it, talking to the father or the son? The father, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. 
it, it's it's it, it's entirely possible that they are talking to the sun um and every it wouldn't change much everything they're saying is true yeah. of the sun but uh um and 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 the sun is the lamb that's yeah directly mentioned in the past passage yeah. but despotes just so rarely yeah. refers to the sun yeah outside of his disciples yeah <laughs> talking yeah. to him directly although that, even there they usually use curios yeah it's almost always curious yeah. it's i think despotes is only a couple times and only in luke yeah i it. can't remember but it's it's not common yeah, yeah. it's very very uncommon um yeah, that's and and also I I, I guess I, it's because I'm putting myself in the psalmist mentality, and usually those psalmist yeah. cries are are given to God the Father, to Yahweh, um, the head of of the God. Yeah. Um, to be clear, Josh also thinks that Jesus is Yahweh. Yes, the head of the Yahweh. That's what I was trying <laughs> to get at. The head of <laughs> yes. of uh, the Godhead. Yes. Um, yes. Um, but, but then they, they get their answer, um, kind of, but first it says, and they were given to them, um, let's see, and was given to them each, each of them. okay, yeah. a stole of white, a white stole, yeah. um, which, which can mean like a dress, it's a, a, a gown, but not in the, in the it, feminine sense. It's a uh, long tunic or yes. a long robe. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. And it, yeah, it's so the, 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 the cultural significance of which is it's not the sort of thing that you wear if you're about to have to move quickly. Sure, uh, yeah. If you're about to go to battle, if you're about to go on a journey, yeah. if you're about to, just get up. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it usually has some kind of religious significance too, right? Yeah, it's 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 usually like yeah, the, um, vestments would I guess yeah, be yes. This, would I? Yeah, this would be where the concept of the the um the robe, the 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 preaching robe, or that of uh kind of more high church congregations oh we even choir robes choir robes, yeah. um and so you're probably right to picture that sort of thing because that's it's real although it's vice versa is that those things are to represent this um and so this is where again us low church uh, okay low-ish church baptists um you know low in the outward forms of church baptists um it's good for us to remember that <laughs> Our Presbyterian and Anglican friends are not just going crypto Catholic when they put on uh, stoles, when they put on the robe to preach. Um, it's it's not they're not just going crypto Catholic at this point. There is biblical reason for it. You know, you could even say it's probably a biblical stronger reading reason for that than even for suits. But uh, honest, uh, yeah, honestly, honestly, if 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 Baptists hadn't been told they had to wear a clerical collar and this is the license you need to wear one, um, we'd probably still be wearing it. It's honestly because of 
it's it's honestly like as with most things you can probably blame the government yeah. uh <laughs> for, yeah. um because theologically there's no no real no real objection yeah but it's the objection was to you can't tell me i have to wear that to preach yeah so so really what i'm saying is if your um if your pastor decides that he wants to make an argument for using a a preaching vestment um and you want to support him then you bring up revelation 6:11 go ahead and bring that up for him in his on his behalf if you want to support him and if you don't want to support him hope that he doesn't remember this passage uh so <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but, but yes, it's a white stool, but, but, but this is, yeah, like you said, they're not going to battle and there is, there's religious significance to it. That these are there, there is kind of a priestly vestment thing going on here. Um, so, so there's a due to their sacrifice, there is an honor and a rest sort of going on here. Um, and it was, but so they're given this vestment to wear. And of course, white represents purified. That they've been made holy. They've been washed. The idea of, you know, that, that and it's, and of course, it's not by, because of their sacrifice. Um, it's because of the Christ who sacrificed for them. We should be clear about that. That it's not, they're not made holy by their martyrdom. That's a, perverse interpretation of this that was used during the crusades. Um, this is not to speak either positively or negatively about the crusades as a whole, but this was a perverse interpretation used by the crusades. Um, but, but it is a, they are a purified people and they are, uh, uh, an honored people stoles honor, a show of honor, but they're, they're given this. So they're given this and also they are told something. And it was told to them, it was told to them in order that they should rest and, uh, upon or for, or still a time, a little, so for a little time, they should rest the, the word pause. You can see it. If you, if you look to those Greek words, that's a pie on a pausone tie P A U S is in the middle. There's a pause in order that they should rest for a small time. So, so like you say, the stole is not a battle garment. These are the saints at rest. Um, you know, this is the, the, the traditional diff, the distinction made between the church militant and the church, um, triumphant. This is the church at triumphant. This is, um, or, or as that great, amazing hymn that everyone should sing regularly, um, uh, the church is one foundation, uh, says, and soon the church, uh, shall be the church at rest. So, and soon the church, uh, exactly the words though. I'm blanking on the words right now. And so, yeah, but anyway, shall be the church at rest. We're talking about the church at rest here. Um, I almost sang, but I thought Patrick would be too pleased by that. So, but <laughs> But yeah, so this is the church at rest. They they have they have been given and, and they're told to rest. Um, but then so it sounds like that, so they're honored. This is the response of the one who hears their prayers. 
They're given honor. Dwight stole. They're given rest. Saying, rest. And then they're given an answer to their cry. So it says, for, short, for a short time, until the fullness, uh, until the fullness and the fellow, um, the fellow servants, the doulos, those slaves, and the fellow servants of them, and the brothers of them, the ones about to be slain, um, as also they. The ones, or not to be slain, the ones about to be killed, as also they. That's not slain. Let's be clear about this. So until the fullness and the fellow servants of them and the brothers of them, the ones about Melontis to be killed, as also they were. As, but as they had been, so most likely also violently. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> But there's, this is where we see the answer that they're given is that there is a fullness, a pleroma um, of, of the slain, of the, let's, let's use the common word that we use now, martyrs. Because this really, this comes from, again, this, uh, this concept that martyr means witnesses. And, and really verses like this have inspired the labeling of them martyrs. But that's to say that they give witness by their death to the truthfulness yes. of what they believe, uh, to the faith that they have. They give witness to that faith by the fact that they're willing to go to death. And there'll be another passage about that that comes up later, um, that um, they overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony because they love not their lives even unto death, in Revelation 12. And, and this is how they give witness to the, tr to the truth of Christ. And so there's a fullness and uh, also, and the Kai could be and or also, or as can sometimes mean that. But you've got this is where the description of the fullness of what of the fellow slaves and fellow brothers of them, uh, the ones who are about to be killed, as also they. So, the question comes down to: What is still a little time? Yeah. And what is about to? Yes. So, uh, first of all, let's say, Jeff, what do the futurists understand these slain to be? Now, this is where I think we will find, in some ways, a lot of agreement between the four views, and yet some significant well, dis disagreement. They see this. They see this conversation as being future. So these are people who are killed by the Antichrist, and they're awaiting more martyrs of the right. Antichrist. The capital A singular Antichrist. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, yeah. So then there's, um, again, uh, Greg, uh, Steve Greg, um, who wrote his phenomenal commentary in four views of, of Revelation, um, you know, he points out that, like, yeah, to the dispensationalist, this scene applies to a time after the rapture of the church, and the martyrs cannot therefore be identified with Christians of the church era. Their cry for vengeance indicates that they stand on other ground, on other than Christian ground. 
Christians are not supplicate are not supplicating for vengeance on their foes. The prayer of vengeance refers us to the imprecatory Psalms pre-written by the Holy Spirit in anticipation of the final persecution of Jewish believers. That's from uh, Frank Gabling. It seems that anyone converted after the rapture must be martyred except for the remnant of Israel who are sealed for protections. I believe JB Phillips. So yes, uh, this is where they would say problematic than I thought. Yes. (laughs) Now this is where, again, we remind us that most that popular dispensationalism is so different from classic dispensationalism. Yeah. This is what I wanted to get ahead of. Yeah. (laughs) This is for the gospel and the witness. They're dying specifically for the gospel. Um, this is where, again, (laughs) this is the problem. We, we talked about this also with our, our, um, we talked about this a couple times. Uh, now it'd be two weeks ago, uh, three, maybe where we talked about imprecatory Psalms. So this is that, that idea. Yeah. The Christians don't pray imprecatory Psalms. That's not for Christians to pray. Uh, which means that not all scripture is for us. All scriptures, God breathes and useful for teaching or proof, except for the parts that are just for Israel. Um, but, and but all yes, of this was written for your edification, except yeah, for except for these ones that are written only for Israel, because we don't pray in precatory psalms. Yeah, yeah, this is a this. It's it's problematic when you state it the way they like. If you just bring out exactly what they said, yeah, that's it's kind of a problem. Um. Yeah, and 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 um, but but to be fair, they do make sense of the still short time and the yeah. yes for once there, the short time in dispensationalism that is actually short <laughs> yes yes meaningfully short yeah actually actually short yeah that's um yeah um let's see i'm trying to see and then i think um you've got Honestly, the goals are sort of reversed here between at least me and the dispens. I have a feeling that maybe it'll be a little different for you, but uh, at least me and the dispensationalist, the roles are a little reversed here, where I'm I'm the one going, ooh, a little longer or a short time or a <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, is a, hmm. um, yeah, but we'll get there. Um. You know, interestingly, Wearsby doesn't seem to be making too big of a deal out of that. Um, uh, but yeah, so, so that that would be some of the futurists. Though I think would just say, like these are yeah, these are the post tribulation Christian. But I think that's where it's what's interesting is is the specific emphasis on the Jewish. Believers, like, are there going to be no Gentile believers in the rapture? Like, because I think from a dispensation, what's interesting is the popular representation of dispensationalism, um, left behind, has plenty of Gentile believers in the rapture. But strictly speaking, they shouldn't. Strictly speaking, dispensationalism. The whole point is that the church age is the is a Gentile parenthesis in between God dealing with. Classical interpretation of the next chapter. <laughs> yeah. Yep. 
yeah we'll we'll get to that and why i think that's hogwash yeah oh totally. um, um but spoiler but, alert we are dispositionless <laughs> uh but but like but but yeah when you state it that way like so so like basically in the seven years every gentile heart will be hardened the gospel will fail utterly among gentiles but suddenly the jewish believers will all become believers in christ except they won't be in christ because they will have altar an altar to offer sacrifices on um it seems dispensationalism is one of those things that if it wasn't so popular i don't know how anyone would believe it it just kind of strains credulity and I know that there's some people who I follow on Twitter who are really great guys who are dispensationalists. Um, but it kind of starts to strain credulity when you start to look at the way you have to interpret this in order for it to be what it's set, what they claim it to be. You know, um, but, but yes, um, so the futurists, this is the people who die during the, during the tribulation. Because the tribulation, this has always been what's in in mind. You know, what is to come is we're talking about just the tribulation. The last seven years of of tribulation of any struggle um, in this earth before the millennial reign. Um, Historicists, though. Um, So, most historicist interpreters take this to be the ordeal of the church under Diocletian whose reign began in 284, but who did not persecute Christians until 303. Um, so, but, but then others will go a little bit earlier. Well, um, and one of the, we should say, one of the, one of the feathers in their cap is that if you read this, not as a Hindiati or a Hindiase or, yeah. however we're supposed to pronounce that um uh not as a one from two <laughs> but uh um but as and and sorry and if you read word of god as meaning copies of the scriptures that was happening under diocletian the people yes. being killed because they possessed copies of the scriptures yes. that they would not turn over to the authorities yeah. And because of their word of testimony, yeah. that that does fairly well describe the time under Diocletian. Yeah. So that makes sense. That was also the largest empire-wide persecution. So, and it came in waves where there would be a lot of martyrs from one place and then from another place and then from another place. So this, this scene makes a little bit of sense in that context. And certainly, uh, I think God knew that that was going to happen when (laughs) he wrote this um, and that, that this could be of particular solace to the people of that time. I don't think it's exclusively talking about that by any stretch. No. Um, and of course, Adam Clark and I believe Henry Matthew Henry, who are some of the most well-known historicists, 
Um, they they actually agree with the preterists on this point. So throw that in. We'll come back to that. Oh, interesting. Um, um, but yeah. So then, what is the preterist? Do? By the way, I think you read from. Did you read from Ladd and ascribe to him dispensationalism? No. Oh, sorry. No. Um, that was uh, I quoted from. Ladd is a futurist, but I, he's not a dispensationalist. He's a futurist, but not a dispensationalist. Yeah. Um, I read from. Who did I read from? Uh, Gabeline and Phillips. Oh, okay. Sorry. For some reason. Yeah. Um, oh, maybe one of them also just called it Blessed Hope, which is what Ladd's uh, commentary is called. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, um, okay, because that's one of the reasons I pulled this down, was I, I thought I remembered Ryrie going after Ladd uh, in this passage, but it's actually the next passage that I ah. referred to. <laughs> yeah. Um not all not all futurists are dispensationalists, but but all dispensationalists yeah. are futurists. Um so the preterist. So um this this I'm just gonna quote extensively from, from Greg at this point. Uh as the blood of sacrificial animals was poured out at the foot of the altar, Leviticus four seven, so the souls of the martyrs slain like animals by the Jewish priests are seen under the altar. The soul um, Hebrew nephesh of the flesh is in the blood. Leviticus seventeen eleven. Their okay. blood cries out for vindication, as did the blood of Abel. Genesis four ten. The fact that the martyrs are asking for the avenging of blood upon those who dwell on the earth or in the land, uh, yes, suggests that their persecutors are were still alive on earth at the time or- John saw the vision. I guess upon the land with yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Prior to the two AD seventy, the main persecutor of the righteous Jews and Christians were the leaders of the Jewish nation, headquartered in Jerusalem. Um, here we're quoting. Here he cites Luke thirteen thirty three, which is, um, "Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, had I not, you know that that this is the the uh, I believe this, I would have gathered uh, the the nation that." Slays prophets or something like that. Um, um, you can look that up if you want. Um, but these are brought together by Jesus when he predicted that on you, Jerusalem, may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. All these things will come upon this generation. Matthew twenty three thirty five and following. Um, by the by, the by I, I was thinking when you brought up the Luke passage, or you know, Greg brought up the Luke passage, I was thinking of uh, John 16, 2. They will put you out of the synagogue at a time is coming when the one who kills you will think he is offering service to God. Mm. Yeah, um, that's another one. But yeah, um, see, the destruction of Jerusalem in that generation was the sentence of the divine judge in response to the cries of the blood souls of the righteous ones slain by their leaders, by her leaders. Um, Russell, um, who is the famous kind of one of the, the famous uh, Protestant preterists, although he was a full preterist. So um, that's a problem, but um, he says, he writes, it is impossible not to be struck with the marked resemblance between the vision of the fifth seal and our Lord's parable 
of the unjust judge. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith in the land? This is more than a resemblance. It is identity. So when Jesus, and I wouldn't go that far, but <laughs> that is Russell, full preterist. Uh, when Jesus was told that, uh, so actually I want to look at that passage though. Um, and, and then also this next one, I actually want to directly look at this next one, which is Luke 13. Um, but I, cause I think these are interesting as far as cross references go to show, um, yeah, to show this. Um, so let's zoom out a little bit and I'm going to put in, uh, Luke 18. You got the parable of the persistent widow. This is an aspect of the story that I had not previously considered, um, until researching this. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in the city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat down, beat me down by her continual coming. And I often thought about that as like, Oh my goodness, what a metaphor for prayer to keep coming and coming and coming. And there's another uh, part that I think, uh, where I would often connect this with is like the friend beating down the door of his, of his neighbor or friend saying, I have guests and I need food. Do you, you give me food? And, and he beats down the door and the guy is like, no, I'm here with my family. I'm not going to come down. But then eventually he says, okay, fine. Stop banging on the stinking door. And he comes down. That's my, that's my paraphrase. Uh, and, but, but I haven't hadn't thought about the fact that what she specifically is calling for is justice. Mm-hmm. And then it goes and it goes on. And the Lord says, verse six, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, (laughs) I think that goes well with both the first and the last coming. This is why I would not say identity. I think the full preterist goes too far here that it is identity um but if that ad 70 coming is in fact as i believe the second coming of christ then it fits very well with this that it is a coming to bring vengeance upon specifically those who are the chief persecutors of of his elect which again, this is something that we talk about. So we're going through, uh, we're going to eventually come back to it. Um, when we have time, it's, it's not like we're putting it off. Like we're going to come back to it. Um, the, the, the podcast response to, um, uh, to Pat, to, to Bob Murphy's podcast. Um, and one of, of course, my favorite things to bring up about Mark 13 is we got to remember that contextually we're talking about, first of all, this is an application passage, not a doctrinal passage. Uh, we always take it as a doctrinal passage, but it's not. It's primarily an application passage. It's part of the application part of Romans. And 
And at that time, when he's talking about this, so like I, I like to bring up at that time, Caesar was not thought of as a, as a persecutor, but as a protector. In many ways, the Romans were the ones stepping in and trying to put yep. down the chaotic yes. Jews who are going to strike down Christians. Yes. They, th- there's a reason that Paul appeals to Caesar in order yes. to stop the Jews from killing him. Because they knew that, you know, maybe the Jews weren't huge fans of weird new religions, but you know what they were less fans of? Chaos and anarchy. They did not want <laughs> this little Jewish nation oh, the ri- Rome, the riling Romans. themselves up. Yeah, the Romans were less fans of chaos than, than yes. of weird new religions. Yes. Yes. And so, and, and, and so this was, but, but like, I, but yeah, I won't, I point that out because that is uh, an important part of understanding the new Testament is the, the attitude toward the Romans is, uh, is a little bit more positive throughout the gospels not completely positive but a little bit more positive um throughout the the new testament because they could often look to them as defenders until this book arguably arguably well though i would say even even with my interpretation even pre-80 70 right in in the late 60s that relationship had changed well of course yes because of course um paul and peter romans kill peter and paul yeah, um, both in the late sixties, and and, um, and 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 after all, are exiling John when this yes. is written, regardless yeah. of when it's written. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it, because the Romans were not acting as righteous judges when they're in the same way that Assyria was not acting as righteous followers of God when they came for the northern kingdom and Babylon right. for the southern kingdom. Um, the reason God would judge both of them is because he was using a wicked nation to judge his yes. wicked nation. Um, yes. And that's what we have here as well. Um, it's the wicked nation that is being used to, to, to take on the wicked nation. And yet there's also Luke 13. Uh, Luke 13. This is where the other passage, and I'm going to jog over to 1333 just to confirm. That is, in fact, what I was looking at there before. Uh, 31 specifically, at, starting there. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go and tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons and perform curses today and tomorrow, or cures, sorry, not curses, cures today. Christ didn't come to curse the first one. Uh, first coming. Um Cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I will fin- I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who, sa- who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? No, that is not saying that Jesus is transgender. That is a, a metaphor for how he would gather it. Jerusalem. Ugh, hate that I have to say that. And you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Um, so yes, lament over Jerusalem. But this is the passage that um, Greg brings up. 13.1, repent or perish. There were some present at that time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? 
because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then he goes right on to talk about the fig tree that shows the sign of the end. Interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so this is what Greg, going back to Greg, uh, Steve Greg. When Jesus was told that Pilate, a Roman, had mingled the blood of some Jewish worshipers with their sacrifices, he responded, unless you, in brackets, Jews, repent, you will all likewise perish. I.e., likewise, likewise how? Likewise how? Likewise is in at the hand of the Romans. You will all likewise perish at the hand of the Romans. The seal reminds us of the reasons that these judgments on Jerusalem are taking place. And so this is, this is, I, I, I think these cross references, I think for me that the weight of the cross references is what, um, causes me to, to, I don't know, to, to have some confidence in this, in this, uh, interpretation, um, that there's, that this is, uh, this is very much in keeping with words that Jesus himself was saying um, when he was thinking about um, the future. And the future that he predicted was the, the, the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. <clears throat> and then you had the fact that, yeah, in fact, so many martyrs had died between the time of Jesus, starting with James, the brother of John, um, or with Stephen and James, Stephen and James, the brother of John, um, all the way up to the, the, the people dying that were list, laid out in the letters in, in chapters two and three. And, and even by this point, probably most likely Peter and uh, Paul had, had been, per, had been killed. And so John potentially is standing here alone, picturing maybe his own brothers his own fellow apostles as the people crying out from underneath the throne, underneath the altar, crying out for vengeance. And there have been so much time. And you got to remember that, like, this is one aspect of like, I, I know I tend to, as a preterist, get a little frustrated with the already and not yet kind of interpretation of, of like all of these, like, you know, well, of course we can say that Jesus did do this, but not yet uh, did, but not yet is that this, this we, we tend to read these um uh how, how do i say this kind of lost my train of thought a little bit there um we tend to we, so 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 this interpretation of of thinking about um Oh man, now I've lost it. Where was I going with that? Um, so, oh man, I just I completely lost my train of thought there. Um, this is where I get distracted by by going after uh, uh, you know, non-preterists. Um, 
but yeah, this is okay. So maybe I'll just I'll just try and turn my wheels and hopefully that'll get there. Um, but 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 this this idea that like these judgment that that, that like the, of all these um. Oh, right, 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 right. Okay, now I know where we're going. Is that um, this expectation that the end would come soon that all the people had in the first generation? And and so, I think so many people will overstate how, like, you know, and, and, you know, we still are waiting for the end. But 40 years was a long time. It's not a stupid long time. It's not as long of time as this, I think, poor interpretation of these non-preterist readings of the new testament are but still 40 years is a long time Mm -hmm. and they were waiting for for the judgment that god promised in the return of christ to judge jerusalem and to destroy the temple um 40 years is a long time to wait and so yeah john may have you know he he's reporting what he sees on the throne or on the under the altar but he's got to have the same thoughts. Like you think he is uh, either is in exile or recently returned from exile and still on the run, you know, whatever, depending on how you understand that he was in exile, but he was in exile when he saw the vision. Um, he has seen all of his fellow apostles die. Um, he's seen many of his fellow believers. Like you think about this, that, that Paul as one or John is one of the longest living early disciples probably has seen so many of his fellow believers die in some natural deaths, many deaths of martyrdom. And he's got to have that same question. When's it going to happen? Okay. You showed me these four horses, these four horses that are showing me what's about to happen. What's about to happen with, with, with the judgment coming on Israel. But, when? How long? Like I, we've been waiting for this since Jesus said it on the Mount of Olives. When are you gonna do it? And 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 not to make too smooth of a transition, but 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 that is kind of the, still the feeling we have. We we should have, as as those of us who are reading this, even as, from an idealistic perspective, like say, there still is more. Uh, as the gospel has gone forth, so has the many martyrs around the world. Brothers and sisters dying in the Middle East and in China and in Indonesia, or not Indonesia, although there too, I meant India, yeah. but like uh, places all around the world. Um, and while we're not dying in this nation, yet the godless are, are what, rubbing our face in the fact that they rule us in this month or the last month that we just finished um, in particular, but there's, there's a, a uh, there's a question. How long, how long are, 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 are we going to wait until you finally bring it to a conclusion? And this is where I think, you know, I've, I've sometimes I've had some questions. People have asked me lately, like recently I've been like, well, why does, why do you care about this 80, this, preterist interpretation like why why is that something that you get worked up about and i'm like okay for one thing because i think it's true (laughs) like it's a big thing it's a big thing uh for another thing it it fuels my optimism about the spread of the gospel because preterism leads very nicely into an optimistic eschatology 
Um, but the third thing, this is the thing that I've been most thinking about lately, is that we got an answer how long, according to my perspective. We got an answer to how long. The answer was, he brought judgment on Jerusalem in AD 70. And so every time that there is a fulfilled prophecy, that is a confidence about the end, in my, in my feeling. That there is a sense, that gives me a sense that like, as they cried out, how long? And as we cry out, how long? I have a confidence that he's done it before, he will do it again. Yes. That the white horse, the rider on the white horse will ride again. He will bring justice. It will come swiftly and it will come certainly. And the holy and true despot will bring judgment on the wicked of this earth. Will avenge the blood of our people who are dying day and night. And so that's why I, I get excited about this preterism. Not just because I get to be a theological hipster, though I do like that. Uh, it's because of that, that confidence we have. Well, and I, were you, sorry, go ahead. If, no, go ahead. I was teeing you up for your idealistic perspective. Well, not yet. I don't want to go there yet. Because, okay. honestly, I think the parallel with Zechariah yeah. is a point in your favor. Here. Okay. I will never um, talk you out of giving me points. And and one of the great differences between our views is uh is how much we think our views are different. Um because <laughs> I keep emphasizing uh that I don't I don't think we're really saying much different and uh, no, totally. uh <laughs> and uh, uh and, and you're trying to to play up the size of the difference between us. Um just, just now. Which, Usually not. Which, which is appropriate to our views, by the way, yeah. because as an it, it's someone leaning more on the idealist side, I'm like, well, of course it happened in eighty seventy, and in lots of other times, and, yeah. and is continuing to happen, and will happen yeah. fully and finally one more time. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, whereas, whereas you're like, but no, eighty seventy though, uh, and so I mean, it's appropriate. It's appropriate yeah, yeah. to our. To our views that we, uh, but but uh, anyway, it's, I always it's really more funny. about the per, the the exclamation point behind eighty yeah. seventy. You just want to put it. You want to put a comma. I want to put an exclamation point, <laughs> and then put a new That's sentence that. for the eighty ninety five and the eighty three oh six and you know and, and throughout history. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but in in Zechariah one, so I think we went to Zechariah six before. But the first time the horsemen show up is actually in Zechariah one. Uh huh. One second. And uh, yes, so you get um uh, a a red uh red red um speckled and white <laughs> mm -hmm. um and. Uh, and so it's, so it's a little different, yeah. but, um, but then it, so what are they doing here? They're the ones whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. And they say, we patrolled the earth and behold, all the earth remains at rest. Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, 
how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah against which you have been angry these 70 years? So note, the reason he's saying they have no, the Lord has no mercy on Jerusalem is that the nations, the rest of the earth, is at rest. In other words, they have not yet been avenged yeah. for what they've done to right. Jerusalem. Right. Or, or, or sorry, they, uh, Jerusalem has not yet been avenged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they have not yet had vengeance poured out on yeah. them for what they've done to Jerusalem. Um, and here you have four horses. How long, O Lord? Mm -hmm. Nothing about Jerusalem. Right. I think is a bit of an indication that you do have yep. a reversal here. Yep. Because Jerusalem is the one that has been doing the killing. Yeah. Has been has has been piling up the judgment this time. Yeah. That it, it that um that that's I I think I think the I think the because if you if you had like an ambiguous mention of Jerusalem here, then I'd be like, oh, okay, well then it's a parallel. Mm -hmm. The the lack of mention of Jerusalem or of Zion or of Judah or <laughs> or anything here makes me makes me think that it is calling your attention a, a bit to the reversal here from sure. Zechariah yeah. one. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, is it is it this time Jerusalem is the perpetrator, not the victim. Yeah. And that's um and that's part of part of I think why why we have the the horses, the how long O Lord. Yeah. And then um is uh uh is that I, I think I think it's inverting yeah a bit this this yeah. picture in in zechariah yep um, so i like it's not the strongest ever argument but i think in it, it i think that a i mean you've got to you've got to figure out what he's doing with this and that to me is i think a very logical answer but we can now move on to idealism <laughs> yeah yeah, this and this is, of course, I've I've already kind of talked a little bit about the idealistic perspective because, um, true, <laughs> um, yes. but but yeah, say what what else would you bring out as an idealist? Yeah, so, um, so I would say that this is one of the reasons why. We, you can find so many echoes of this throughout the scriptures, is this is always how God's people are to approach God. So I, that, that's where I cannot disagree more with the dispensationalist, the, the sort of classical dispensationalist reading here, where yeah. only these people get to, get to do this. No, 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 this is, this is what saint, the saints uh, who are slain have always done saints who are undergoing 
lighter persecution than slaying can also avail themselves of of this of this uh holy and true despot uh who stands to be their avenger um is uh um is that this is um this is a common cry of the church that that our enemies um our enemies appear to be prevailing against us our blood is being poured out how long are you going to let this happen <laughs> and and the lord the the lord's answer is always a little while long like it, it, that 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 is his judgment on any particular uh, on any particular because this is this is one of the things that to me is so notable about the history of the christian church any particular persecutor of the christian church does not last long yeah persecuting the church is 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 one of the ways you almost instantly fall or get co-opted by the church yeah. <laughs> um is one way or the other you're losing yeah. your your battle with the emissaries of god um so that's that's actually it's one of the reasons why i am less worried about china than than most people honestly is because theologically i am not concerned about uh, a place that persecutes christians as much as china does um theologically no, no. i do not believe that that they will be vindicated in that no. No. um so no. uh that doesn't mean that they won't temporarily gain more power to be able to persecute more christians yeah. but um but i am i am I am not afraid that that uh, China is going to rise up and dominate all for a thousand years or something like that. It's like uh, anyway. So, um, and it's for this reason. So, I I I see this. I do. I I definitely see the. Uh, although I strongly see yes, the eighty seventy. I I definitely. I definitely see that. I think it's a strong argument here as usual. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, but but I see Diocletian here. Like, here's one where the historicists have have a, a really good point. Because I think, yeah, this is common. This is this is a a uh, a common cycle of of how um, God's people um approach him uh calling out for uh his vengeance on their enemies um and and that in the grand scheme of things it's not long so i don't think we're talking about a history's long <laughs> so all the people who've ever been martyred for the I, I think we're talking about shorter cycles of martyrdom and 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 the vengeance of God, um, and I I think we can see that historically in many places. Yes, most notably in uh, 
Jesus's vindication uh, in Jerusalem in 70, 69 mm -hmm. and 70. Um, but, um, but uh, yeah, let's see. Is there anything else? I do think. Um, I do think that there is something particular, though, about uh, those being killed. That they have, they have a a a particular plea to make to God that other kinds of other kinds of persecuted and yeah. and and because in their case there is no pretense that anyone but god could answer their plea right, right? <laughs> is is um so yes it's the it's the blood crying out from the ground that is constant yeah. throughout scripture but but it's it's also that well by virtue of their death who else can yep. indicate them but god oh yeah um so and this is this is one place where um where i say like materialism itself you talked about how these being souls is is important materialism itself uh anti-supernaturalism itself um uh ultimately devolves into nihilism because of this yeah because because if you're killed for being one of the good guys and we don't live in a supernatural world if if the soul does not live after death what what justice is there when yeah. that happens um what justice is there for the millions killed by abortion without having ever lived without having ever drawn breath what justice is there for them um unless there is a god keeping score and exacting vengeance um so yeah, anyway, I think obviously leaning more on the idealist side, I see this as a consistent pattern throughout scriptures, throughout the scriptures that we should continue to look for in our day and to particularly look for at the last day. <laughs> that's that that's this is basically just a simple restatement of idealism. But like I said, I think you have a you, the eighty seventy argument is a is a strong one here. All right, so uh, we're gonna mark this as the week that Jeff conceded defeat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh no, uh, no, but this it's uh I think it's it's good to just remember that God is faithful. He is the Lord of all. He is faithful and true, and um, no matter what the wicked whether be they state or non-state actors, whatever they may do that the, the judge of all the earth cannot be thwarted and he will judge them swiftly. And, uh, that's a great promise that we have. Um, but 
I think it's about time we bring this thing to an end. Uh, so, um, I would say, do you, let's see, um, well, I will have no idea what's going on because this is going to be recorded. This is recorded for so far out. Um, but, uh, as always like subscribe, share rate five stars. That Tell outrage that you saw in the news, God will have vengeance on it. There it is. Exactly. The one that, that we missed. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, leave a comment. How does how does it come how does it comfort you? Um, uh, respond, or you can send us an email, anarchistbiblestudy gmail dot com, and uh, we will um we'll see it there. Um, you can also uh send us an email if but unless you're like what you're t- you you want to talk to us about is uh, about how we're wrong and in fact this has to be Jews Jewish believers in the tribulation. If if you want that, we're collecting. We have a special collection place for emails talking about uh, dispensational theories, um, and that email is uh, that it's very importantly J E W J U dot Jitsu at uh, <laughs> at uh, Grassi dot Brazil. Uh, okay, uh, uh, that's. That's our, our very, very straightforward, <laughs> not at all complicated um, uh, email for those particular questions. Yes, absolutely. And if you want to, uh, of course, if you really appreciate us, go and buy me coffee.com slash flyover and, uh, and uh, support us that way for a dollar, just a dollar a month. We get so many benefits um, and, uh, and it's so beneficial for us. And also, if you want to request a topic, you can go to buymecoffee.com slash flyover and you can request it for $5 if you want us to talk about something specific. Maybe a specific passage you want us to look at as happened in the past or a topic that you want us to, or a video or something you want us to respond to. Um, That's a great way to ensure that we will do it. Um, uh, Historically, we have not rejected any topics and you have gotten more than one episode out of it. Yes, typically. Yeah. <laughs> um, and as well as I would say, uh, but also like, um, you know, as I've said before, you know, word of mouth, it's huge. Tell someone, tell a friend. Um, uh, but most importantly, join us again next week when we take anarchy to church here on the anarchist Bible study, grace and peace. Grace and peace.